Welcome to When They Popped. Let's rewind to a simpler time together and dive deep into the music, movement, and mania behind our favorite Y2K celebrities and trends. Hosted by Kelsey and Mary, it's time for another episode of When They Popped. Hello, and welcome to When They Popped. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Mary. And there's been a lot swirling about one of our favorite boy bands lately, in sync, and we've been meaning to do an episode on them for a while. So we thought, why not hop on the bandwagon, layer in our two cents for what we think this potential reunion on the horizon could look like, and tell the story of In Sync while we're at it. So today we're going to dive into the history of In Sync and our favorite moment. So it's not going to be a full-on deep dive like we've done with some of these other artists, but we'll touch on some of what we feel are the most iconic parts of In Sync's history. Does that sound fun, Mare? That sounds amazing. And like, I just want to say, we're not talking about No Strings Attached, which is probably the most iconic part of their history, but we're picking our favorites. We've talked about like a ton of songs from No Strings Attached, like ad nauseum on different episodes and just figured it would be best to kind of like sprinkle in some new stuff for this episode. So don't come for us. We know. We know how important that album was. Yeah. So now that Mary got her disclaimer and it's time for my (laughs) disclaimer, which is the legal one, the copyright one. So full disclaimer, we do not own or claim to own the rights to the songs or performances in this episode. The purpose of these clips is for commentary and critique. Very nice and unique (laughs) twist. I love that. And I've been working on it. I'm going to do our boy band disclaimer, and this is a new special one for this episode. So many disclaimers. Uh, Full disclaimer, we are both diehard Backstreet Boys fans, and nothing in this episode should be misconstrued or interpreted as a change in our alliances. (laughs) Yeah, when they popped more like when they disclaimed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's get into it. My first pick that I want to talk about in the NSYNC timeline is kind of at the beginning, and that is their debut self-titled album. NSYNC was formed, I guess, technically in 1996, 1997. And they started recording like demos. You know, you want to get noticed. You want to record your demos. So they were literally in closets. They were using mattresses to create a soundproof environment. And from these quote-unquote closet sessions came Sailing and Giddy Up from their debut album. And honestly, those are some of my least favorites from the debut, but they only got better with time. And Kelsey, does this sound eerily familiar to you with us recording our podcast in our closet? Like, are we on the verge of our self-titled debut big break? Maybe. One can only hope. So they were in their closets, putting in their time, putting in the grunt work. And also during this time, this is a fun fact I found, NSYNC was actually given the opportunity to record in Shaquille O'Neal's house in Orlando after he heard them sing the national anthem uh, locally. I know. So like, Obviously, all roads lead to Orlando, but this is where they kind of started recording their demos. And so funny because I actually randomly got to meet, not beat, Shaq. Because that's how I'll beat Shaq. A bunch of times when I was working in TV and he's like the sweetest teddy bear. And it's just so funny that he was legitimately able to recognize the talent of these boys before the rest of the world's did and could. I just thought that was such a cool story. Oh my God, Shaquille O'Neal was in with NSYNC. And Aaron Carter, like this is, this man fosters the pop talent of tomorrow. I love it. But so around July and August of 1996, the group signed with BMG Ariola Munich and they were sent to Sweden on the Hitmaker Express to begin working on their debut album with the help of 
famed producers we've maybe mentioned once or twice on our podcast, Dennis Pop, Max Martin, and Andreas Carlson. Like, we've literally never talked to them about them before. So this is probably brand new to you guys. I'm kidding. I'm being sarcastic. But once they got into Sweden, they got in the studio with the masters. They started recording some songs similar to the likes of, you know, Boys to Men. They were doing acapella R&B type songs, just like Backstreet Boys were doing. Very similar vibes here. But they had to kind of switch their sound at the urging of the Swedes to accommodate the dance-oriented European market. Hit maker and legend Dennis Pop and his then-protege, Max Martin, had been working with Robin at the time and were really into that Europop funk sound. Think of those intro noises to We've Got It Going On, like... That sound. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The signature Swedish sound. So the producers decided to incorporate Robin's style into NSYNC's music by combining their R&B vocals with pop tracks. So through 96, 97, NSYNC released multiple singles in Europe. And then similarly to BSB and equally confusing, the album was initially released in Germany on May 26, 1997. They became an overnight success in Europe, just like the Backstreet Boys. Also, just like the Backstreet Boys, they were crickets over in America. No one knew. Everyone was like, yeah, sure, you're crushing it in Europe. Mm -hmm." But they just kept grinding and caught the attention of Vincent DiGregorio, who was an A&R rep for RCA. And he saw them perform in a show in November in 1997 in Budapest, He was obviously very impressed. They were very impressive. And he offered them a record deal with RCA, a.k.a. in America, which the group immediately agreed to. So by March of 1998, RCA re-released basically the same album that was released in Europe, their self-titled debut in sync. There was a few changes that they made, a couple songs they switched out that they thought would be more appealing to the American market. But that is when they were released in America, March of 1998. I read that the European edition of their debut album also included a cover of Boston's More Than a Feeling. It's ah. an acapella version. It's one of my favorites. And it's on YouTube. It's so good. They sound amazing. I love it. They sound so good. Okay, so the album debuted at number 82 on the Billboard 200. They sold approximately 14,000 units. And after six months, on October 10th, 1998, the album reached and peaked at number two on the chart, stayed there for three weeks, and remained on the 200 charts for 109 weeks. It spent a total of 30 weeks inside the top 10. So like, I feel like this was kind of like a slow burn, like but a good slow burn. And we'll talk about why in a little bit. Kelsey will get into that, but it wasn't really generating much traffic in the beginning. And then all of a sudden it did. And then it stayed. They popped. And according to Nielsen, it was the fifth best-selling record of 1998. The album was certified 10 times platinum. They have all the accolades with this album. And it was ranked the 137th best album of all time. According to Billboard, they did a ranking of the 200 best albums of all time. So That's pretty notable for your debut. But let's talk about some of these tracks on this album. And, you know, you got to start off your debut album with a true bop. And that they did. Track one is Tearing Up My Heart. It's tearing up my heart when I'm 
Now this, I know, this came out in June of 1998 is the second single from the album. It has this pop sounding melody, a strong beat, a funk styled pre-verse breakdown and vocal harmonies performed during the refrain. It's a Max Martin specialty. Yes, this is a song done by our Swedes. That recognizable, unique, heavy dropping intro. It's tearing up my heart when I'm with you. But when we are apart, I feel it too. You know immediately what you're listening to, and then it's like, bam, 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 bam. Uh, just <laughs> perfect. Their harmonies are sharp. I love the final chorus in this. It has like a, a bit different composition than the first two. Like classic Max Martin, we talk about how he does that with Lucky as well, where it's like tearing up my heart. Yes. Tearing up my heart and soul. We're apart, I feel it too. It removes the beat and just focuses on the vocals and their harmonies. And it's just so good. I think this is in my top 10 favorite songs list. Whoa. You want to talk about the Billboard best albums of all time? Let me talk about Kelsey's list of top oh. albums. Of I love this song. This was the one in sync song that I allowed at my wedding. Oh, really? That's huge. Yeah. So that says it all, people. But here's a little history for you about Tearing Up My Heart. Did you know it was originally pitched for the Backstreet Boys to record? Like, oh, ah. I don't even want to like think about it too much because it would probably send me into a spiral. But Max wrote this song in a three-day period after NSYNC's European single, I Want You Back. I mean, it was an American single too, but when it came out in Europe, it started popping up on the European charts and they're like, oh God, okay, we got to keep going. They apparently, they recorded this like all through the night and the boys were really excited. They understood that this song like had potential and probably was going to hit hard. Billboard ranked this song as number five on their 100 greatest boy band songs of all time. Wow. I honestly feel like I'm the editor of that list. Like, I usually agree with everything they say. As but long as, like, like, a Factory Boy song is number one. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried. I mean, we only have four spots. They're be- I, ooh, <laughs> I'm, I'm worried. We will do that list. Don't you guys worry. So the music video aired in the United States on the debut episode of TRL on September 14th, 1998. That is history. I know. We see the guys dancing inside a warehouse, playing basketball, taking pics using a Polaroid camera. I wonder if this was like a Lou Pearlman warehouse that this was filmed out. But... He did love a warehouse. He loved an airplane hangar. <laughs> it's very Lou Pearlman coded. Exactly. So th- that's one of my questions for you all. But okay, track two. I just want to be with you. Okay, this one's okay. Not my favorite, but it's like fine. I like those na 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 na. feel like that mm-hmm. can get in your head and then at the end when like they're like come and be with me my baby come and be with me my baby i don't know i like the first part and the end part but that's about it this was written and produced by a production team called full force and they're also the production team known for their work on all i have to give by the backstreet boys Put my love is all i have to give 
I prefer all I have to give to I just want to be with you. Same. Not even close, but you know, it's fine. Next one I like a bit more. And track three we get Here We Go. Here we go. One more time. Everybody's feeling fine. Here we go now. This one's a favorite and has all the markings of a Swedish bop, but surprisingly was not a Swedish bop and was done by Italian producer Tony Katura. I mean, clearly this man was inspired by some Swedish sounds because listen to those beats. Katura also worked on Backstreet Boys' Get Down. I definitely can hear some similarities. Undeniably very catchy, like, yes, 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 here we go. I dug it then, I dig it now. Sing along and have no fear. NSYNC is here. Even the way that they like enunciate, yeah. it felt very Backstreet Boys. My favorite line is, come on, party people, there's a party going on tonight. Come on, party people, there's a party going on tonight. I feel like and nobody gets that reference. I say it all the time. Like, <sighs> and everyone's like, what the, what is she doing? I get it. And I love it. I also don't think anyone would expect me to quote an instinct. I know. They'd be like, there's no way. There's no way. It's off brand. <laughs> Very often. I really love this album. I really, truly do. So, track four. For the girl who has everything. A ballad written and produced by a German producer, Veit Wren. And that's the same man behind You Got It, a track that's coming up. And you guessed it. It's for the girl who has everything, except love, a tragedy, Underlying message I get from this song, money can't buy you happiness. It's a decent song. The vocals are good. Just like not one I seek out. Do you like this one, Kels? This one was a skipper for me personally. Mm. Yep, same. <laughs> but, but number five, I loved track five. Track five is God must have spent a little more time on you. When I look into your eyes, I know that it's true. God must have spent. It was released as the third single from this debut. We got it in October of 1998. It reached number eight on the charts. Now, this was a U.S. exclusive, and it was not released as a single in the European version of this album. For once, we got this one first. So exciting. And in 1999, country music band Alabama actually recorded this song with backing vocals from NSYNC. And released it as a single from their 18th studio album titled 20th Century. This version peaked at number three on the Billboard Country Charts and number 29 on the Billboard Hot 100. This is the only hot country song chart entry for NSYNC. Like, who knew? That is kind of wild that it also got on the country charts. I've admitted this on the pod before, but this song like single-handedly got me through CCD and my first communion because <laughs> I really hated going until I got this CD. And I was like, oh my God, like sync must be religious. So like uh -huh. I too must find redemption. <laughs> 
You were inspired by the pious members of Insane. I literally was like, I have to repent. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, oh, well, you're in first grade during your first communion. So this like was time to perfect. I was hearing everywhere. God must have spent a little more time on you. And I was like, oh, my God, I need to pray because Insane prays. <laughs> well, that just shows us kids how like deranged we are. It's like I hysterical. <laughs> on another level deranged. I'm still deranged. It's a good song. It really showcases their vocals nicely. And it's kind of a nice like pivot from that standard year of pop that we're getting. It's so cheesy. Though. Your yes. love is like a <laughs> We'll eat the cheese. <laughs> I will. Nom nom, bitch. Like, love it. <laughs> we love cheese. But moving on to the next song, this one is actually one of my favorites. And that is You Got It, track six. Now, again, this is not a Max Martin song, but this one just screams Swedish to me. I don't care what anybody says. I love the JC intro. It's like super unique. Soon as the sun shine, I'm gonna make you mine. Oh, baby. I love that when they're like, give me all your love. Got to have all your love. I just give me all your love. good i think it's catchy i love how upbeat there's a really iconic like harmony break near the end of the song they're like ooh. <laughs> they show off their vocals and you know whatever this girl has got the boys want it so Kels, i don't know i just love this song were you into this one or not as much this one reminds me of like true like 90s mm-hmm. like almost like an 80s inspired i don't know it feels old interesting see i had the same note for the next song seven i need love i put in my notes this is like an automatic skip for me and i can't tell you why but it just sounds like super 80s or something to me it's just not my vibe so like that yeah, it sounds like new kids on the block not like something that's new and exciting i hear you that's a good point <laughs> track 8 let's get into it i want you back Inject it in my veins. I don't think I even need to tell any of you by now that I want you back as the brainchild of a match made in heaven, Max Martin, and the late great Dennis Pop. See, you hear that memorable intro. So tell me what to do now. Those Swedish beats. It's just undeniable. This was the first single that we got in America off the self-titled debut, and it came out on December 27th, 1997, a Christmas present for us all. Yeah, that's wild. Why did they pick then? <laughs> who knows? So everyone could get down at their New Year's Eve parties? I guess. I, you know, who 
the hell knows? But we were into it. I Watch You Back reached number 13 on the charts. It was certified gold. Similarly to the Backstreet Boys, this was after the song had already had astronomical success in Europe. And luckily, it translated over to America. No surprise. Joey said in an interview that they were actually like really nervous about this song. This type of sound hadn't really made its way over to America yet when they first recorded the track. And the boys said they were a bit worried. It was a little too edgy, a little too Euro. But don't worry. We always catch up. America got on this boy band trend better late than never. I would be so upset if we never got this song. I put the lyrics to this song in my AIM profile when I wanted to get back together with my high school boyfriend, and it worked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you manifested that with these lyrics. The music video was shot partially in grayscale. Oh my God, I remember the grayscale, and it depicts NSYNC performing in a warehouse. Dare I say maybe a Lou warehouse again? Who knows? They're playing pool. They're riding jet skis. They're driving around the neighborhood with a girl in a Cadillac. Like this is their first big boy music video for United States audiences. So I, for some reason, have a different music video in mind. The music video that I have seen is when they're in like a space station and they're wearing these super tight, colorful shirts. Yes, there's two. Why are there two? One for the world and one for Europe. Which one is which, do you think? So the original is the one in the space station, and then the one for U.S. was the grayscale one. You can tell by their hair. (laughs) Their hair in the space station one is insane. They're so blonde. JC has those, like, Mm. short little blunt-cut bangs. No one looks as good as in the second one, I think. <laughs> Different vibe between shirts. Oh my God, I love it though. That's the one I always think of. That's so funny. They're both time capsules, like just a blast from the past. But moving right on, track nine Everything I Own. And I would give Okay, this was a skip for me. So tell me anything you want to about it, Kels. <laughs> I like this. Did you know that it was a cover? I didn't until recently. So I'm on Tumblr TikTok, you know, where they like use the different colors to turn big Stanley Cup type things like swirl colors. <laughs> Anyways, I was watching my favorite Mrs. Dutchie on TikTok. She's amazing. And she was singing to this song because she always has the radio on it. It's like oldies station. And I was like, wait. This isn't in sync. Like some girlies in the chat were like, oh my God, the in sync version of this is perfect. And I was like, wait, I thought it was the only version. The original is done by David Gates. I love this song. Again, oh. maybe it just got me in touch with like my religious side going to CCD <laughs> and doing community service. Very interesting. Who knew? Who would have thought? Who knew? Not me. I just literally learned this two days ago. Yeah, same. I didn't see it till a couple of days ago either. Well, track 10, I can add a little bit more to track 10 because track nine, I just had nothing to say. But track 10 is Drive Myself Crazy. Now, this one came out on February 15th, 1999. So a Valentine's Day themed song. We have Christmas and now we have V-Day. And this is the fourth and final single from the U.S. release. And 
It was written by a Grammy award-winning songwriter, Rick Nowells, who has written for the likes of Madonna, Dido, Dua Lipa, and Lana Del Rey. Kels, did you know this song is unique as being one of the few songs where someone other than JT and or JC sing lead vocals? Chris sings the first verse in the American release. JC had that part in the European release, but I guess I decided to throw Chris a bone for the US release. I don't know. That's nice because that is one of the things that I noticed about NSYNC. Like, I naturally draw comparisons of them to Backstreet Boys just because I know Backstreet Boys' performances so well. And what always struck me was that in NSYNC, you rarely hear Joey, Chris, or Lance on these singles. So I think that's really cool that he gets his moment in the sun. Kind of like Howie for Backstreet Boys. I agree. And Chris has a good voice. He's the, what is it? The soprano. What's the highest one? The soprano. Yeah, he's like a super high voice. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, it, it worked. I thought Chris's voice worked for that. So, I mean, basically the song, they, they're missing this girl so bad. They blew it. They let her go and they're literally going insane. So I guess we've all been there in some way or another. But this music takes place at a literal insane asylum, and thankfully we have it grown at least a bit as a society and recognize that mental health should not be mocked or used lightly as a subject of a song or a piece of entertainment. I don't think that was like the intention here from NSYNC, but in obviously different times. But the music video was shot at a literal asylum, the Camarillo State Mental Hospital, which actually closed down in 97. But we oh my can, God. I know. That's where they shot it. But they each have their own torment as they're remembering the girl that put them in there. Oh, drove them crazy. crazy. Oh, yes. <laughs> but each member of the group got to come up with their own storyline. So, having, so we can personally blame them for the distasteful. <laughs> well, obviously, we are living in a different world, though. You know, I don't seek it out, but I don't mind this song. I just, hey, at least they got a little creative control. I know all the words to it, but I don't ever remember like seeking it out. Yes, exactly. Okay, moving right along to track number 11. And that is Crazy For You. you. Okay, real talk. We are getting a lot of crazy references on this album consecutively, but I do like this song. There's like the soft vocals intro and transitions right into some heavy hitting European beats. I wanna, I wanna work with you. I enjoyed it. You know, it's it's good. It's fine. Were you into this one? This one was good, especially when they performed it live. It was like fun. Yes. Okay. The final two, track twelve. We have sailing. This was a cover of a Chris Cross song. So we have two covers on this album. Maybe I lack musical depth, but this is another skip for me. And as soon as I hear that uh, harmony in the beginning. I'm just like, oh my God, next, 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 skip. I don't know. I, I just panic when I hear it. No, I don't know. I'm with you. I don't even <laughs> want to hear it. That's, oh, you're going to be mad at me if I say this, so I'm not going to say it. Say it. Oh God. That's track five of Millennium. I'm sorry. I need you tonight. Oh, uh, well, I mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're not a Nick girl, 
there's no reason for you to be listening to that song. And I was just jealous. Like, why did he get a song all to himself? Because he's Nick King Carter. (laughs) I know, but I was like, AJ is AJ and Brian is Brian. That's true. You know, one of the many questions we have. But all right, let's wrap up the debut. Track 13, Gotta Giddy Up. Okay, this song is cheesy as hell, but (laughs) the chorus is kind of catchy. You know, I don't know. I don't seek it out, but it's like if it happens to come on, I think I would keep it on. Try to get a hold of you last night. And they're like, call you on the phone. Tried to get a hold of you last night. Called you on the phone. Yeah, it's like funny. Yeah. That's so funny that you mentioned Lance because it's like, it's like, Girl, were you alone? And like the low. Oh, lowest wait, that's what it was. Ever. Yeah, you're Girl, were you alone? Girl, were you alone? I can't yes, even do it. He comes in. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's such a blast. His but voice I, does not match his look at all. <laughs> no. And there's that one special that they perform, and his mic is way too loud, and we can just hear him like overpowering the over vocals. And it's like, if you take <laughs> a chance on me. <laughs> Baby, you're not the only one. It might be the HBO one. It's so funny. Oh, it's a blast. Please send that to me. I will. I will. It's just Lance's mic is louder than everybody else. <laughs> I can't imagine a worse person. Not that he's a bad voice just because he's the bass. Like, yeah. I think that's like one of the hardest parts of the harmony to sing. I know. Oh it, God, it, I'll like find it. it as soon as we get off. But we do have to note that this is the one song that the boys had writing credits on. So like props yeah. to that. I think like in the early years, most artists have to kind of like scrap and claw to get say or creative control. So, you know, that's a big deal. And we'll see them having much more freedom and creative control in the later years. But I guess that's just something you have to kind of earn, which makes sense. Totally. So thank you, Mary, for walking us through their debut album. You mentioned earlier that it was slow to catch on. It was a slower burn. Well, we're going to talk about the 1998 Disney special that made them pop and made in sync household names. Newsflash, it's also on YouTube. It is glitchy AF. It's definitely like from a VHS that has been recorded over someone's like home video, but it's there in two parts. So by the time that NSYNC had been successful overseas, they still hadn't made it big in the US. So just bringing us back a little bit, their album sales were sluggish was the word used before this special aired. And this TV special sort of fell in their lap because Backstreet Boys declined the offer to do it because they needed a freaking nap after like a world tour. So their shared manager with NSYNC, that's right, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC had the same manager, Lou freaking Perlman, was like, hey, NSYNC, you guys are going to do this freaking Disney special and you're going to freaking like it. More on the Lou of it all later. But I rewatched this special in its glitchy entirety and I took some notes. And I'm sorry to say this, but for the next 15 minutes, you'll be subjected to my stream of consciousness while under the influence of old school and sync. So here we go. These are verbatim the notes that I took. So the concert was shot on May 23rd, 1998 in front of the Chinese theater at Disney MGM Studios, which is now Disney's Hollywood Studios. So they sat on it for a little bit and it premiered on July 18th. And this is kind of like a fun little 
blast from the past for Justin and JC because they began their showbiz careers on Mickey Mouse Club, which shot at one of the sound stages right there in Disney MGM Studios. So we're introduced to this group called NSYNC. We see five guys wearing the craziest clothes I've literally ever seen in my life. There's Justin and Lance's bleach blonde hair. Chris is wearing this little braided ponytail, and some of them are also bleach blonde. He's wearing camo overalls. And JC is wearing what I can only describe as like a math teacher button down shirt with a fishing vest over it. Uh, there. <laughs> Justin was wearing this oversized <laughs> silver Adidas jacket with these silvery oversized gym pants. And I can feel them. Like when I saw this fabric mm. glisten in the hot Florida sun. I felt like they reminded me of those pants that had the buttons all the way down the side that you could like rip <gasps> off. You know what I mean? The like tearaway pants or something. Yeah, but yeah. they weren't the swishy kind. They were like the silky kind. Ooh. So they open with crazy for you. A strong start. Mm-hmm. The choreography that they do, honestly, like I just haven't seen anything like it from a guy group. They're doing these crazy acrobatic flips with each other. Like Chris would step into Joey's hands and then like jump off of him into a full on backflip, like a full backflip. And it's just like insane that they did this in the Florida heat. They were wearing these crazy big baggy cargo pants. And I don't know how they didn't pass the F out. Their choreography is 100% always very chaotic and like cardiovascular in comparison to other acts of the day. I agree completely. It is so... This is high intensity interval. (laughs) Like this is a full hit workout and I don't know how they do it. And they're perfectly in sync. Like they didn't miss a beat. They were so Mm. good. And I just feel like they put on such a performance like that's what makes InSync different to Backstreet Boys in my mind I think Backstreet Boys seemed more serious they were more yeah. about the music like Backstreet Boys did their own Disney special which I'll touch on a little bit but they're sitting down for like half of it they're more about like the music not that InSync wasn't but just I felt like InSync had more of a emphasis on the performance of it all and we'll touch on that in a little bit but in the meantime we need to talk about the little interviews that they put in between each of these performances. Oh my God. So they're wearing these crazy small and so 90s sunglasses. When I tell you that Justin Timberlake looked like a little girl at a pool wearing (gasps) blue goggles, I was like, hey, watch me do a handstand. Like, I'm not exaggerating. (laughs) These were really important, though, these interviews, because it introduced us to NSYNC and no one knew who the F they were. We might have heard, like, here we go a couple times, but... Here's how they decided to do it. Here's some tidbits from these interviews. So first, we start off with Justin explaining the origin of InSync. He said that Chris had the initial idea for the group. More on that later. <laughs> and then Chris called Justin because they knew each other from auditions. Then they called JC and then they saw Joey at a club. And then they picked up Lance because he had the same vocal coach as Justin. And Justin claimed that they really put the group together themselves because they were all friends before they signed a record deal interesting justin (laughs) and we see them just playing basketball going on rides around disney we see that lance sucks at basketball but he likes riding horses (laughs) at one point they're all describing each other like trying to introduce like each member of the band and literally everybody was like chris is crazy (laughs) they were like he's always doing something dangerous (laughs) 
Justin likes basketball, but everyone said JC loves music and he's always working on music. And one thing about us is this is a JC podcast. Mm. We are pro JC. So we see they all have like their little bits. Lance is on a horse. Justin's playing basketball. Chris is flinging golf balls. Joey was like on a jet ski or something. And then we see JC at a piano jazzifying their songs. We're going to play a little clip for you right here. Um, this man is the voice of an angel and he claims that he's the serious one because someone needs to be focused on the music. Like, oh my God. I love him. I love him so much. So then we see them on their tour bus and it's kind of cute. Lance is like literally taking a nap (laughs) and Chris wakes him up with the camera. It's hilarious. They're watching TV. They're just jamming to the radio. Just seems like fun. And then they included some interviews from the moms. They did a sweet tribute to them for helping out with their careers. They shared that Justin's mom traveled with them for the first year and a half on the road. So we see what they're doing to us. They are making us emotionally invested in these boys, making us feel like they are the boys next door, that we could be hanging out with them on their tour bus. They're really, they're just five guys who were friends that just mm-hmm. all of a sudden were put in a music group, but now they're performing on Disney Channel. And it worked on me. And I am in my 30s. And I know exactly <laughs> what they're trying to do. And it still worked on me. And knowing what we know now, like how duped they were by Lou Perlman, it just made me really sad to see their moms and how hopeful they all were, like at the very beginning of their career before uh. they were touched by any scandal or before they were really jaded this is really the true beginning of them taking off in the u.s and they were on the verge of their big break it was kind of sad to keep that in mind any thoughts there before i move on every time we talk about justin's mom it's another lynn there's only lynn's in the 2000s pop mom's world they're all lynn's so there's some random ass tidbits in this special too they do a tour of the newly opened animal kingdom (laughs) it just opened they're on a safari and there's this one little part where they're like yeah we were raised to be kind to animals (laughs) and i'm like your pr person deserves a raise who's gonna (laughs) say no to jc chaze singing i love animals like oh my god it was half a commercial for Disney, half a commercial for NSYNC, and we ate it up. So I mentioned that Backstreet Boys did their own Disney Channel special following this the year after in 1999. It was filmed in New York City. It's also on YouTube. This one has amazing quality. Mm-hmm. And it's just really interesting to see how differently they went about their performance. Because by this time, Backstreet Boys were very established. Millennium was out. They pretty much did like a whole run through of Millennium and some hits uh-huh. from... Backstreet's back. And it's just really hard to compare the two performances, even though I did because I watched them back to back. But NSYNC really just was the performers, whereas Backstreet Boys were focused more on the music in my mind. I agree. And that, that might be a controversial opinion. And we respect all opinions and everyone can have different ones. NSYNC was like a performance. Yeah. They felt more group. fun also. Like, no offense to yeah. Backstreet Boys. Backstreet Boys just took it so seriously, it felt like. It's interesting. It's a very interesting comparison. Hard to compare. But so, okay. The boys, they release their self-titled debut. They get this Disney special, which like turns their sluggish sales around. They're catapulting <laughs> into the pop sphere. They're popping. They pop. so, 
Yes. And so they had to pound the pavement after all of this. And that they did. They embarked on an 18-month, 200-show, 100-city trek, also known as <clears throat> their second to none tour, a.k.a. Ain't No Stopping Us Now tour, a.k.a. the Boys of Summer tour, and the Winter Shows, collectively now known as In Sync and Concert. And that ran from June 1998 until June 2000. This tour kept getting like extended and expanded that they kept adding like new legs. This collective of tours and dates became one of the biggest tours of 99. It earned over $50 million. Some notable openers included Britney Spears, Bewitched, Mandy Moore, Raven Simone. <gasps> I know, Innocence, and even Jordan Knight trying out some solo work. As we've discussed, the boys followed a very similar track to the Backstreet Boys, and they obviously did a Germany, European tour prior to their success in the U.S. And before embarking in this big monstrosity of a tour, they were the opening act for Janet Jackson's Velvet Rope Tour, which is obviously a huge deal. The boys have talked... All of them, I think, how inspired they are by Janet. She's a queen of pop, and it just makes me give even more side-eye. Bombastic side-eye. To the whole Super Bowl situation. Mm -hmm. Wardrobe mm -hmm. malfunction. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Go listen to that episode for a full 10-minute rant on my end about that. But Oof. So this concert started in theaters and auditoriums, but as the boys kept doing better, it started expanding to amphitheaters and then stadiums. And it was also during this time that NSYNC was going through their legal battle with <laughs> the disgraced former manager that Kelsey mentioned, Lou Pearlman. We have a whole episode about that. Check it out. But so they had to cancel some dates and make them up later. And that's why we got even more legs and versions of this tour because they were going to court. They were sitting for depots. They were busy. So we're talking about our favorite moments on this podcast. And I would be remiss. I would cancel myself if I did not talk about a little highlight off their album, Home for Christmas, that is belovedly known as Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Now, this is their second studio album because it was their second album after their debut and it came out on November 10th, 1998. God, I just, I can't believe we were seven years old when these songs were coming out. Every time I do the math, it blows my mind. We were They're so lucky. The kids now have no idea what they missed. I have no idea. <laughs> I feel sorry for them. But this album was certified two times platinum and is the 15th best-selling Christmas or holiday album in the United States. As of 2014, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays charted at 37 on the top 40 mainstream chart. And I feel like this is just a song that we all know. Everybody knows this song now. It's kind of like all I want for Christmas is use like very successful mm -hmm. little brother, you know, like all over Etsy. <laughs> yes. It's just, yes, literally all over Etsy. Every time um, I, I'm like Backstreet Boys holiday sweater, Backstreet yep, Boys nope. ugly sweater. It's just in sync with photoshopped Santa hats on. Merry yes. Christmas and happy holidays. You are so right about that. And, you know, the impact of the song is undeniable. And to make it even more special, I didn't know this. It was actually written by Justin and JC. Oh, so this is their little brainchild. It's one of these songs that I feel like was kind of like mocked and poorly received when it first came out because like, you know, boy bands weren't cool or, you know, whatever. But over the years, it's kind of had like this renaissance and it's just like become a holiday favorite of many, even a Backstreet Boy fan or two, you know, including so. these two. Yes. yes. It's like a meme, but that you also love unironically. 
Exactly. That's well put. There was a music video. I had no idea. It was directed by a gentleman named Lionel Martin. It was filmed in one day and all the boys had creative input for the direction of the video. And they just wanted to to be pop and fun and energetic. The guys really wanted Gary Coleman in the video to play an elf. And apparently he was a very difficult act to pull, but they got him. So I guess Gary Coleman is in this music video, like playing an elf who knew And it was their third music video to reach number one on TRL. A Christmas one. Bravo. I feel like it just, this plays into like NSYNC's really playful persona, I feel like. Yeah. They were the jokesters. They were playful. Meanwhile, Backstreet Boys were like, chestnuts roasting. (laughs) Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. It's like even their Christmas song was like, more serious. I will say I liked this one better than that one. You like the InSync one more than the yeah. Boys one? Yeah. Just want to make sure I'm clear for all of our yes, listeners. Yes, I do. <laughs> I like Backstreet Boys Christmas album, but I, I, I mean, agree. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Is that matter? See, we can we can admit things. The Backstreet Boys one is one that your parents play like when they're having like a glass of scotch in front of the fire after everyone's passed out on their toys. In <laughs> sync is what you listen to when you're like trying to party because you have to Get make lit. Christmas cookies. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we're in the 98-99 era, and I am a huge fan of InSync's No Strings Attached album. This is one of their best pieces of work, in my humble opinion. Learning the meaning behind Digital Get Down literally sent me into a nine-year-old spiral. <laughs> like my head exploded. <laughs> It's such a good album. It's 14 million copies, 2.4 million in the United States during its first week. Respect, credit where credit is due. They did that. It also holds a Guinness World Record for the fastest selling pop album in U.S. history. It ultimately ended up selling 11 million copies, and it was the second biggest selling album of the 2000s, only behind a Beatles album. Like what? What? And this this album also has their only single to reach number one on the Billboard 100, which was "It's Gonna Be May." It's gonna be May, which we talked about in our last episode. Now five. Yes, and we've talked about "It's Gonna Be Me." Bye, bye, bye. This I promise you a ton, and they're in all our other episodes. And so we just figured it would be you know a, a more fun, new, exciting twist for us to go through their final album as of now. Oh, I see what you did as, there. As of now, instead of "No Strings Attached," to kind of touch on some new stuff. But we just didn't want you to think we could ever brush over an album like that. Yeah, no, we're not brushing over it because we talk about it too many times. But we need to take a break here because this episode will be 18,000 million minutes long. So we're going to have a part two up later this week in just a couple days where we'll resume this combo. Bye. 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 <laughs>